Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, tonight we come to you live from Colorado Springs, Colorado, as we continue Voices from Behind the Wall. And I'll tell you right now, the next three shows on this program is going to deal with Voices Behind the Wall, the Voices of the Innocent. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't get any more crucial, any more critical of abuse behind the wall than to incarcerate the innocent of this nation. You're not going to believe it. This series will talk about not only the innocent, but those who were innocent on death row, ultimately losing their lives. This is going to be a humdinger three-part series, Voices from Behind the Wall. We hear from the voices of the innocent. Folks, hang on. We take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Lisa Stewart, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and Samson Riddle, and the entire AJC radio team tonight. We're excited to be here, and and uh, I'll tell you what, folks, we're not excited for the topic necessarily, but the fact that America needs to know, and we'll continue to hear voices from behind the wall. And uh, I'll tell you what, Dennis, as we get ready to step off in this one, uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, we're going to be also addressing a young lady who passed away who was a guest on this show after being wrongfully convicted. Joyce Ann Brown uh, ended up losing her life after uh, she was finally uh, allowed out of prison uh, for a crime she never committed. We did an interview with her. We're going to bring that to you tonight, as well as a tribute we did at the time of her passing. Dennis, how important is this? Because I'll tell you what, the innocent are suffering a great deal. Uh, it's, our, it's our obligation. It's our, it's our purpose uh, is to proclaim this to a nation. It's important. Yeah, we've we got to make this known. I mean, if you think about it, uh, with the recent, you know, uh, increase in exonerations, I mean, uh, actually having people that were on death row being exonerated, uh, those that have lost their lives already, it's a little too late. Uh, but it's a sad thing. I mean, if you think if, if you think about the exonerations, that should automatically say we got a problem, and we really need to make sure that when we when we give somebody the death penalty, uh, that they, that in, first of all, I don't believe anyone deserves the death penalty, but if we do do that, that that person is not innocent. I mean, it's so sad uh, when you got innocent people in prison, you got innocent people dying for no reason, and all because, you know, the justice system didn't do them right. So we, we really got to hit, hit on that tonight, and hopefully tonight we'll put enough out there to let people think, start thinking and say, you know what? We really need to start looking at uh, the death penalty and other things. Well, the bottom line is, you, if you had a perfect system of justice, uh, I still personally have a conviction that the death penalty is not correct. Uh, I don't believe that. Right. Uh, there's only one giver of life. That's uh, I believe there should be one taker. Exactly. That's my opinion, right. uh, my belief. Uh, but again, if, if folks want to hang on that argument that, well, the death penalty should be in place. You can't argue that with a flawed system. Exactly. You can't argue that with wrongful convictions elevating each and every year in this country of people being said, oh, they didn't do it. Stories of folks on death row who after the fact said, oh, well, they weren't innocent, but you killed them. Exactly. Uh, this is why the debate is so, so difficult because 
you're dealing with flawed individuals trying to run a system who, that has gone amok and is, is corrupt more and more each and every day. You can't put that. Samson, your thoughts? Uh, I, I absolutely agree with the points you guys have made already. The fact is we do have a flawed uh, injustice system, if that's what you want to call it. And, and the fact of the matter is, is like people wouldn't be getting exonerated if, if again, if the system was even remotely balanced. But the fact of the matter is, is there's, you know, we have these these people pleading their innocence for years, sometimes decades behind bars. And I mean, there's no excuse with the amount of technology, with the amount of resources that are available to today's law enforcement and prosecutors and judges, why this stuff isn't being reviewed with the most, you know, amount of granularity and scrutiny that we have. Instead, people are being passed over. People are sitting behind the wall, you know, for decades, you know, while stuff just sits there. And it's because they fill a bed. People are getting paid, and that's what it's all about. It's not about justice. It's not about human life. It's about the almighty dollar. No, absolutely right. We're going to address all of these issues tonight. The victim's voices from behind the wall, not only behind the wall, from the grave as well. I think that's where we had actually did some, uh, some, some, a little bit of uh, uh, context on that when it came to uh, uh, addressing uh, people on death row, people making last statements and things like that. We're going to bring that back in as part of this three-part uh, series. Cliff, how important is this that our listeners know and learn? Uh, and you know what? I think our society has taught us to believe anybody behind the wall is innocent until you find out from, your, from personal experience. Your loved ones or yourself ends up in a situation that is clear uh, the innocent are suffering behind the wall. That's exactly right, and that's why we say so many times here on this show that you you have to get educated about the issues that are going on, um, you know, about how the judicial system works, how the justice uh, system works, and how the prison system works. I mean, uh, going back to the point that Samson made about, you know, record exonerations, uh, you know, every year we see more and more people exonerated. And it, it, it makes no sense to keep a death penalty in place when you say, okay, well, we're finding out that record numbers of people that we put in prison have to be let out because they never committed a crime. Well, the death penalty needs to be stopped. And the the most insane part about, uh, you know, the death penalty with today's technology is you'll have somebody that, that is saying, well, I'm innocent and check the DNA. And you'll have the prosecutor saying, no, don't check the DNA. Go ahead and kill him first, and then we can deal with that after after the death penalty has already been uh, been done after that person is dead. I, I do not get why, with, uh, with all of the funding, all of the money, and all of the coffers in America, that we can have any DNA kit that hasn't been, uh, hasn't been tested yet. That is the – it is the most – it's the easiest way to find out if a person is, is uh, innocent. Check the DNA. If it, if it doesn't belong to them, then they didn't commit a, the, the crime. You know, in the situations where they're, they're dependent on the, the DNA as the, as the evidence for the person being guilty. But so many times you hear, well, there wasn't funding to test the DNA. Get funding. You get funding for everything else. Local police departments get funding for battle tanks, for weaponry for uh, community programs, you can get funding for your lab to do DNA tests uh, on a mass scale to ensure that the people that are in prison, especially those who uh, are on death row, have, uh, have all of the evidence at hand to say, 
whether they did or did not commit the crime. That, to me, is insane that we have not cleared out the backlog of DNA tests. No, absolutely right. And again, it's our position here to uh, to address those issues, to uh, to bring to the uh, the attention of our listeners across this country to understand very clearly uh, this is something that just cannot be tolerated. Uh, people again do not know. We're going to get involved with that. We're going to address these issues and continue to be a voice for those uh, that cannot be a voice for themselves. So we're going to get into that on the other side of the break, folks. We come back. Voices from behind the wall, Voices of the Innocence, rings true tonight. This is ADC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot, but I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. 
Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in a nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors. to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. So gross. Loser. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. I wanted to be in the military since I was was a kid. I served in the United States Air Force. I served a total of 16 years. I was deployed uh, 13 times. On my second deployment, four bombs hit my vehicle. And at 19 years old, that's the first time I ever saw somebody die. Coming back, I was raging. I started having pretty horrible nightmares. I would wake up in the middle of the night, sweats. I started drinking a lot. I felt worthless. I guess I never recognized it in myself. Eventually, one day, I just walked into the VA hospital and said I'd like to see somebody. Don't suffer alone. You got to find that link with somebody. It'll make you let it go. It all starts with going to the VA. There's a whole community of veterans that just want to help you out. It's for the guys who couldn't come back, so you owe it to them to live well, because they're not here with their families. Congress 
shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Do you know what this means? Do you? It means you can voice your opinion without censorship or restraint. It means you can say nothing at all. It means you can debate, protest, question, contribute, whenever, wherever. Take it. Embrace it. Say it out loud. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen of America. This is AJC Radio, uh, where we search for justice all around the world. And we've started a series called Voices from Behind the Wall. That series continues tonight, The Voices of the Innocent. This is a part three series at minimum, uh, addressing the innocent folks who have, you can suffer a greater injustice or abuse than to be innocent and to be locked up behind bars one day, one hour, one minute uh, is the... Perfect, perfect example uh, of injustice. And tonight, uh, in the next three shows, uh, we are going to be addressing this issue, uh, the voices of the innocent. And uh, I'll tell you what, folks, this is something that's critically important, because here's the key that you have to pay attention to, that if I uh, can be wrongfully convicted, the innocent happens, the numbers are growing every day. uh, This is something that has to happen. Uh, This is a discussion that has to happen because it could be you, your family member, your loved one, who suffers this type of abuse from behind the wall. It's the fact that you even went behind the wall in the first place. Uh, We're going to address the issues of the innocent tonight and, again, uh, going forward here for the next uh, few weeks that we might hopefully bring to you the importance uh, of really not assuming anything. People are so quick to assume, well, they must be guilty. They're in jail. They must be guilty. They're in prison. We don't have the first solitary clue uh, of the reality of wrongful convictions uh, in, in this country. The U.S., which leads the world in incarceration of its citizens, has approximately 2 million people behind bars. That means a wrongful conviction rate of 1% would translate to 20,000 people punished for crimes they didn't commit. On death row, 1 in 25 are likely innocent according to a recent study. This is, this, those numbers, 20,000 innocent people, and that's at a minimum, are behind bars in this country right now that never committed a crime. 20,000 lives. Samson, your thoughts? Um, just, it, it's almost going to be dumb out here. I'm sitting here reading some of the stuff from our research team, and it's saying that 273 people in the last seven years, you're talking about 40 people a year, including 17 people on death row, have been exonerated just by the use of DNA tests alone. I was reading some of the other articles how the prosecutors in, in two or three of these cases had evidence in their files that the men they were prosecuting were innocent but did nothing. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's like, like we've said on some of our previous shows, like where does the value of human life go? I mean, you, you just want to you just want to keep your conviction rate up. I mean, do you have you know some kind of stake in the prison? You know, you get a cut of the bed they're going to fill. I mean, what's going on here? What is going on with the justice system? Well, the, well, the fact is that the justice system doesn't exist in this country anymore. Uh, that's one fact that we have to come to grips with. Uh, there is no justice system. Uh, I, you cannot have the numbers that we have at the alarming rate in which we have them, and say we have a justice system. 
This is why folks on Capitol Hill are crying for prison reform. This is why it is out of control. And until we take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and say we have to, just just, just take the 20,000 there who did nothing, whose families were affected. I'm going to tell you right now, if you have a loved one in prison, you are doing day for day with that loved one. Because there's not a time you get off that phone that you don't think about that loved one. There's not a time that you talk to them or send them money, put money on their books, or whatever you have to go through, missing them at the holidays, missing them at key moments and things that are going on. This is something, this is a huge injustice that has to be addressed. And the voices from behind the wall, you don't have a greater voice of abuse than the voice of the innocent whose freedom has been stripped and taken from them. We got so much that's going to cover over the next three shows here. Uh, not only the uh, convict, the uh, wrongful conviction of Joyce Ann Brown, we're going to get into that tonight, but also the IRP five who have suffered a huge injustice, the pain, the tears, knowing that you did nothing wrong, knowing that I committed no crimes. Uh, this is something that's critically, critically important. We're going to address these issues tonight uh, as we get into the voices of the innocent and uh uh, I'll tell you what, folks, feel free to dial in tonight if you want to get into this conversation at 646-200-0628, And, you know, this, this, this type of a program really pulls at the heartstrings because the struggle of a loved one. And then you're worried about, and then you talk about the abuse behind the wall. Think about the press, the pressure and the stress of family members wondering is their family member going to be the next victim of a crazy outrageous act happening by correctional officers by wardens in these facilities this is a stress factor it does not just affect those behind the wall but definitely those family members and loved ones who are really holding their breath hoping that their loved one will come home safe Uh, that's insane that that should even be the case but that is the time in which we live absolutely and i mean i think you're right you know the, the collateral damage that is done by having a family member behind the wall. I mean, we, we've seen and heard stories, you know, day in and day out, show after show, and, and nothing is more heart-wrenching, I, I would think, than having a loved one that you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is innocent of everything they've been accused of, and still, still something happens that they wind up behind the wall. They wind up serving like, like we've, we've seen these articles already this, today, you know, seven, 10, 20, 40 years behind bars all the time, you know, maintaining their innocence all the time, wrongfully convicted and serving a sentence for a crime they never ever committed. And the national uh, registry of exoneration says currently there's 2,267 exonerations, more than 20,000 years lost. You imagine 20,000 years. That's an average of eight years per person. And, and I'm sure some of them didn't, you know, didn't do it. They did 40 and, and 50 years. But it's just a, it's a tragedy. If you got one person that's wrongfully convicted, if you come up with one exoneration, that tells you we need to really relook our justice system because we have a problem. Well, not only relook. Dig it out there you and go. toss it <laughs> and get a new one because this one is not – I'm telling you, it's broken. There's certain things that you can break that just can't – you know, you've got a statue or something that you really like, 
depending on how many pieces fall from that statue is whether you can fix it. Exactly. This system has shattered the lives of millions of people. That's true. And I'll tell you what, when something is shattered, you can't fix it. You're right. I agree. You got to redo it. You got to redo it. You got to redo it. And uh, uh, look, it is what it is. We've, we've hit that. Uh, we've hit that level. And we were talking earlier about uh, Joyce Ann Brown uh, that, uh, that came on this program. She was a, she was really a, a person that uh, touched the hearts of, of a lot of people here. When we, when we met her and she came on the show, uh, she was actually uh, uh considering coming out here to Colorado uh, to meet with us and, and really was very, very uh, uh, happy to be a part of that. We're going to bring that to you here a little bit later in the program. Uh, we're going to uh, be joined here shortly by our guest. Uh, and uh, he is actually uh, Antoine Day, uh, wrongfully convicted. He, I'm going to let him tell his story, what he went through. Uh, voices from behind the wall, again, have been crying for years uh, that the abuse, that the fact that they were innocent, the fact that they didn't do anything, how do we ignore those voices while we let a killer, a true killer, a true person go free who is guilty of the crime? You can't have it. And when you, when you think about, I'm one uh, person who was wrongfully convicted, did seven years in the state of Colorado for a crime I didn't commit. And I'll tell you right now, that's seven years. Some of these guys are 30, 40. Uh, Joyce Ann Brown, the years she spent there, you're going to hear that when we play the interview, but it's a nightmare. Because it's like, what am I doing here? And then you, you're, dealing with the, uh, you're dealing with the suicide rates of those who have been wrongfully convicted. Uh, how many people attempted to take their lives because they didn't belong there? We're going to get those numbers as well. So, uh, again, uh, we're looking forward to our to our guest, um, uh, and, and Antoine. I believe it's Antoine Day. Uh, that's correct. We're going to bring him momentarily. And again, folks, feel free to dial in to six four six two hundred zero six two eight six four six two hundred zero six two eight. And we're gonna we're gonna actually get into that. And uh, right now, as I said earlier, um, joining us, Ant- Antoine Day, uh, gentlemen. Uh, wrongfully convicted. I'm going to let him tell his story. Antoine, are you with us? I'm here. I'm here. Uh, good to have you tonight, Antoine. Thank you for taking time to join us. Uh, Thank you for uh, having we, me. No, no. We, we appreciate you uh, taking time out of your busy day and, 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 and having this conversation. As we have started a series, as we alluded to, Voices from Behind the Wall, the Voices of the Innocent. Uh, we're going to be doing this topic for the next uh, three shows uh, to bring really to, to the point that there's no greater abuse behind the wall than those who are wrongfully convicted, those that are wrongfully there that shouldn't be there. And we wanted to definitely uh, get your perspective. And uh, how, have, how have things been going thus far? Well, this far, it's been peaceful and, and not without a struggle, but, you know, it's, uh, it's been real peaceful. And, and we're just making it do what it do, man, you know. No, absolutely right. up. <laughs> no, absolutely. Hey, we, we, you know, everybody's got to draw on something to, to get them through. And I agree with your assessment there perfectly. Antoine, if you can, tell us a little bit about what your story, how you ended up uh, in the situation you were in, uh, and some of the things you, you had to suffer through as a result of that wrongful conviction. Okay, well, as a, uh, I was a musician, a young musician, uh, aspiring to, you know, to be um, 
in in the music field, and uh, I just came back from playing in New Orleans, and uh, I made it back to Chicago. It was in September, and uh, I found a, a card at my door t- t- uh, stating that a detective wanted to talk to me. Knowing I hadn't been involved in anything, I didn't see a problem in talking to this detective. So I called, and uh, he was telling me they just wanted to ask me some questions and, you know, a lot of different stuff. So, uh, you know, knowing, coming where I come from, I know not to, I don't have any trust in the police. And, uh, I, you know, I got a lawyer, you know, uh, to go in with me who really just took my money. He didn't, he, he didn't do anything he should have done or it probably wouldn't have happened to me. So this this um, this lawyer took me in. He went into the police station with me, and uh, they explained to me what was going on. And then, you know, asked me to, you know, sit in this room for like 45 minutes. I sat here talking to a young man who was actually the state's witness. He was there to identify me. He didn't know me from Adams all the time. We were sitting there talking, but... Uh, detective came in and took him one way and then took me the other way. And uh, next thing you know, I was positively identified in the lineup. Uh, that that was the beginning of that journey. Okay. So someone came in and said he did it. Yes. And that was yes. it? That was it. And, you know, and no, no questions asked. And, uh, you know, they started asking me a lot of questions and but at that time, at that time, the lawyer had left. The lawyer, because they had me sitting in like three, four hours, and the lawyer had just left. I guess he said he couldn't wait no more, so he left. So I was there sitting, uh, and then they came in and asked me if I would stand in a lineup. I said, sure. I stood in a lineup, and then I got picked out, you know, and they came out and told me. <laughs> you know, it just blew me, blew me away because I knew that I hadn't done anything. And that they didn't give me a chance. Whatever this guy said, that was enough for them because in Chicago, they just closing cases. They don't care who it is, who is the actual offender. They just closing the cases. And they sent me off. You know, I, I went to the county jail. County jail in Chicago is the largest mental institution in the country. So in this jail, you see, like you mentioned earlier, you see guys hanging themselves, cutting their wrists jamming their heads through the bars, literally trying to kill themselves because of the hellhole that they put you in. And if not yeah. killing themselves, they're trying to kill somebody else. So the, I had to experience all of that, being a you so know you musician. Saw and, you saw all of that? Yeah, all of that. I had to experience all of that. I woke up one morning, and my, my the guy who was in the cell with me had stuck a pencil through his neck. Well, and they tried. they almost said I did it. <laughs> you know, but he didn't die. You know, he was able to tell him what happened to him. And I mean, it's, it's sad, man. You know, the things you go through and how it can continue to to destroy your life if you allow it to do so. You know, and the mental aspect of it, how life is even harder once you've been exonerated. Life got even harder for me as an exonerated man in this city. You couldn't find, couldn't find employment. I couldn't do anything to, you know, to help or to take care of my kids, to help my family. I couldn't do anything because I was blackballed. I got pulled over. You know, my license plate said that I'm this killer. They pulled me over. They got guns on me and my kids. And 
it's, it was a hell ride, man, you know, until, you know, I had to fix my life. The, the city, the state didn't provide me with anything. I had to go out and lobby for me a job. I had to stand on work sites and, until somebody asked me what the hell I was doing then. You know, I had to make a way for myself. And that's what I've been doing. So, you know, it kind of made me who I am today and what I am doing. Because I'm in, I work for a company, man, right now that loves the community, BBS Family Services. BBS Foundation been here since the 60s. And I get a chance to mentor young men and women that's struggling in the community. I get a chance to run a reentry program that comes from men and women coming from prison. We help them with employment, education, housing, whatever they need is, uh, is what we do. I love it because it's my passion. I know how it is to be down with no lights are on, no gas is working. Only thing you got is running water, no toilet paper, no food in the refrigerator. I know that feeling, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I'm here to provide them with all the assistance they need, and I'm a court advocate for young men and women, so when they go to court, they're not violated to make sure they rights are not violated. I'm going to be right there from the beginning to the end. And and that's who I am today because of what happened to me then. Now, Antoine, I, I saw here, you said here, looking back, uh, that the you remember one day the prosecuting attorney said, I know you didn't do this, but right. you were going to jail for this. Can you right. explain? Well, you know, we, we, we got these prosecutor attorneys who really value other people's lives at zero. If you're not one of, the, you know, out of that bracket of where they come from, that he came and he came into the uh, uh, into the jail one day and said, look, we know you had nothing to do with this, but if you give us him, him, and him, we'll let you go home. You know, so they were willing for me to lie on somebody, like somebody just lied on me. Right. And uh, I refused to do it. You know, I just refused to do it, you know, uh, and, and it cost me 14 years and better of my life, you know. And uh, it cost me a lot of things, man. You know, I lost property in, 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 in the midst of that. Um, I lost family in the midst of that. So, yeah, they came in trying to get me to lie and destroy somebody else's life, man. But I just, I don't know, I just couldn't do it, you know. I know it was easy for the guy that just did it to me, but I couldn't do it to somebody else. The thing, Antoine, is this. If they came to you with that offer, wow. who came to the guy exactly. that pointed at you and said, hey, name this, we'll get you? How insane is that? It's and to very, do that, Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Antoine. I know, it's very, no, I don't want to cut you off, but it's, very, it's, it's, it's something that they just got used to. It's just like you punch a clock every day. You get used to punching that clock. They get used to mistreating people in poor impoverished communities. They get used to that because they become the abuser. They tell you about bullying. Those are the biggest bullies. The biggest gang is the police department and these prosecutors. You know, things seem to be changing now, but those guys are bullies because they can come and threaten you. They can destroy your family. They can take your kids. They can lock you up. And, and, and in Chicago, you know, and I know it happens in other places, but they can lock you up here. I was locked up three days before anybody even knew where I was. I was locked up going from jail to jail to jail on a bus, you know, without eating or anything, man, for three days. So they have a way to make you suffer, you know. They put you in a dungeon basement in a dog cage and let you sit in there for eight hours. Try that. 
with no shoes on your feet and your blood stops circulating in your feet. You know, they, they, they practice torture. You know, they practice torture. So everybody has a system that they, they run to try to make you do what they want you to do because they bullies, man, and the system has been bullying us. And that's why I'm fighting in this against this, that system now. I'm not against police at all. I'm against the crooked ones. We got a young man who right now, they 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 taking him to trial. He shot a young man 16 times. And the judge asked him today, well, was he still a threat after you shot him the first two, three, ten times? Was he still a threat? That's right. Because they become abusive, man, and they they start enjoying it. It becomes a good feeling to them. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's rough, man. It's rough. You know, but these are the things that go on, and a lot of our communities and our families don't realize until they knock on your door. This is what happens to people who don't understand the system. No, I agree with you, Antoine, and and that's why your insight to this is so critical uh, for the people who have walked that road. Um, And and to be innocent has to be the most difficult mental uh, battle to fight every single day that I didn't do this and calendar after calendar is turned while you suffer behind that wall I don't believe guilty people should suffer the abuses they are suffering in our prisons and in our jails uh, today so but to be innocent makes it a far more it's egregious either way don't get me wrong but to be innocent and you have no business there uh, mm-hmm. We talked about the gentleman on Rikers Island, uh, uh, Mr. Browder, uh, the young kid who spent three years on Rikers Island. We're going to get more into that as this series continues. Three years at Rikers and was never charged with a crime. That's Rikers. Here, here, not to cut you off, and I'm sorry because I forget some stuff, but here in Chicago, a young man spent five years and was never charged. And they found no reason to compensate him for anything. Five years he sat in the county jail. In and it county. took an investigator to find out where his case was in order for them to see why he's still sitting in his jail. So they'll lose you in the system. Yeah, Rikers Island is one thing. Chicago is another. Ohio is another. St. Louis is another. Arkansas. New Orleans is the worst jail anybody could have ever built is down in New Orleans, man. So... Yeah, Rikers Island, three years, that's just the told story. Find the ones that they ain't told you how long they've been in jail, sure, how long they've sure. been sitting in there waiting on and, and re- ready to cop out just to get out of there. Yeah. And the jail three is so, the, the sad part about Mr. Browder, he was so afraid of going mm-hmm. back that he took his life. That's right. Life. I, I, I know about that. And uh, I, I, I truly believe we met that young man because we did a, we we played in New York at one time, and I believe he was dead right before his death. But yeah, the mental aspect of that is a whole nother issue. You know, you got the the issue of you go through this prison system, you lack education, you lack training, then you lack medical attention, then you lack mental attention. You know, even in my life. And I'm speaking about myself. Even in my life, I've got issues that I carry today because of prison. I got issues. I got certain things that you can say to me that 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 
that put me in a mindset and, and I become, I shut down or I close out. These are things I have to deal with every day. You know, mm-hmm. I have an issue with with people asking me a lot of questions. You know, because I've been put through a whole lot of things where right now I, I, people don't understand it. And, and I try to share it in the sense to where we don't, I don't fall out and give you a bad impression of who I am. But I'm dealing with some things, you know. I'm dealing yeah. with some things because my life's been tormented. I've been abused. I've been beat up by police. I've been jumped on by by a bunch of white cops calling me niggers and all kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. I've been put through it. I've been through so much. I don't have enough time on these shows to tell you what I went through, how bad it is, you know, and, and what I've seen in those prisons. That prison is a hellhole, and it's designed to do just what it does, to ruin you, you know, and to, to, to make you a worse person than you came out. My job keep me sane. The people around me keep me sane. The, the system never offered me any attention, any any assistance, you know, and, and, and most of the guys, I'm blessed because most of the guys come out of there, they, like you said, kill themselves, they drug themselves, drink themselves or just abuse other people like they've been abused, you know. So th- these are the things that I'm faced with every day. You know, I- I've went through a whole lot of mental changes since I've been home, adjusting to things, uh, uh, training myself not to be the animal that they wanted me to be. You know, I had to go through that because I've learned how to be a whole other person in there. Then I had no. to re- become a whole other person out here. But let me say, the last time I was on this show, and I spoke, uh, a young lady sent me a check in the mail, and I really wanted to tell her I appreciated it. I, I, I wrote her back. I never heard anything. She sent me a check offering to help me, and, and, and I appreciated it. And I donated that check to a young lady who was homeless, and the, the money did her a lot of good. So I just really wanted to put that on and thank your show for having me because people are responding to what we're talking about. People okay, so- are Appreciate your show. Go ahead. Wow. So, right. so the young no, you're fine. Uh, so the the young lady sent heard you talk telling your story uh, on yeah. this show and that's this compl- show right here. That's awesome. <laughs> same same bad station, same bad channel, right here. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Antoine, listen, and I want to say this to you. We appreciate your perspective on here. Uh, I'm gonna we're gonna take a quick break. Come back. I want to hear some more from you, but. Uh, I'm going to invite you to come back if you have time uh, to chime in on time. the chime in on these shows uh, because I like we people need to hear what's going on in the raw. They need to hear mm-hmm. that to understand this is coming from a man, Antoine Day, who was innocent and was subjected to this type of abuse. We're going to get into some of that when we come back. Uh, we're going to take a quick call right now. We have a gentleman by the name of Raymond. Uh, that wants to comment. Uh, Raymond, uh, you have a question. Go ahead. You're live. Yes, I do. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Uh, I am. Uh, I know that voice. Like I, said, <laughs> like I said, my name is Raymond Taller, and I'm the, the leader of the Exoneree Band, where all the members have been exonerated. And, you know, I did almost 30 years in prison before I was exonerated. And in Ohio, and uh, Antoine Day is our lead singer, so I I can see a lot of the, the changes, you know, through his personality that that he was speaking of, 
And we, we there's six members in, in the band right now. We we lost one member because he was trying to fight the death penalty, and he would go out at night or all times a day on the street, and he was preaching, you know, the gospel and, and uh, his uh, abolition of the death penalty until it made him ill, and he passed away. Uh, that's just how strongly he he believed in getting rid of this, you know, this thing. Uh, killing people, you know, he he called it murder, you know, especially for the innocent people that end up on death row, like himself. I'm talking about Darby Tillis. Uh, he was one of the originators of, of the group, uh, the founders of the group. And, you know, we got um, William Dillon and Eddie Lowry and uh, Ted Bradford, who, who was in the group. And these guys have all suffered, you know, under... Uh, being imprisoned illegally, and you know, but we 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 support each other, and we we try to get the word out as as best we can. We're all musicians, and we all you know have music you know in our heads all the time. But this music has words to it too, and those words normally you know say about you know the what we went through, and yeah. that's, that's a way to kind of get it out and for for get for people to hear it, you know, you, you can have pleasant music and with a story that kind of bites behind it, you know, so you, you, you get the, you get the pleasant music and then, and in the, in the back of your head is this story. And, and I hope it, hopefully it sticks with people. And actually it's, it's been proven to because we've been doing uh, things for the innocent projects uh, consistently for eight years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was I was freed eight years ago, and that's that's when the band was put together, and uh, we've been getting the word out, you know, as, as much as we as we can. All the members in the group, uh, including uh, Antoine, just like today, he's speaking, you know, out on his own. So do the other members of the band also, you know, when we have a chance, uh, a vehicle to speak out against, um, you know, this uh, injustice, especially mm-hmm. about guys in prison illegally. You know, we all do it, and you know whether it's by music or it's just by a strong word. You know, you know we're there helping, and Antoine is is one of the strongest voices in the group, uh, musically and just with his story. You know, a very powerful story, and I'm really uh, glad that we have this vehicle of you guys, the AJC Radio. It's it's awesome. Well, guess what? I just got this from research. This says after spending combined time of 85 years in prison, the exonerated band rocks for justice. Uh, 85 years combined. Oh yeah, yeah. That's of wrong. Right. That is unbelievable. And for what you guys <laughs> well, are that's doing, a, it's just, that's a lot of time, and that's a lot of stories, a, a oh, lot of experience, okay. a lot of agony, and. A lot of joy, too, because when you get out and you're able to live your life as a normal person, or at least you have the opportunity to, that's a lot of joy there also. And we want yeah. others who, who are in prison and, and justly to kind of get to that point and, you know, get back to their real life. Oh, absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, Raymond, can you come back uh, for a few minutes? I'd like to hear some closing thoughts from you on that uh, segment of the show, but also from Antoine. Uh, as well, I, look. To be honest with you, uh, I'd like to have the whole band come on here and, and tell some stories about what they see behind that wall. 
that's listen, that's an open invitation to AJC Radio uh, here over the next three week, three shows. Uh, but we'll reach out to you that online. This is I think that's awesome uh, what you guys are doing uh, to come together and to say, look, you know what? We're not going to let the system dictate uh, how we proceed and how we go further. It's not going to happen. I salute I both know. of you guys. Right. I'm going to take a quick. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, hear more from you, uh, and we're going to let you close out here at the top of the hour. I know it's 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 a little later there where you are, but we are excited about you guys, and we're going to get the word out about the Exonerate Band uh, and what is the story behind it. And uh, as 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 you alluded to, Raymond, there's a story behind uh, the music and. People need to know that story. It's critical. This is AJC Radio. Voices from behind the wall, the voices of the innocent, speaks tonight. We are honored to have Antoine Day and uh, also uh, Raymond Teller, uh, who's called into this show, part of the exonerate band uh, that are letting their voices be heard and fighting against injustice. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. You're on your way to meet up with friends but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him what not to hit? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. There's a lot of mud when it rains here, and it makes it really hard to find food. There are car bombs every day. My mom worries about me when I go out. Every time I hear the alarm bell go off from school, I think it's an air raid. Sometimes I have nightmares about it. A lot of houses in our neighborhood have been destroyed. I like to close my ears and sing songs whenever the bombs come close. My dad says we have to leave, which makes me scared. I'm worried our new neighbors won't like us. What if they don't understand our religion? Because we don't speak the language, it might be hard for me to make friends. But I know it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be worth it. I just want my family to be safe. But these are not my words. These are not my words. These are not my words. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that you and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. 
How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impacts families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, the continued series, Voices from Behind the Wall, the voices of the innocent are the voices we focus on tonight. Uh, uh, tonight, part of a three-part series uh, playing tonight, uh, not this Thursday, but the following Tuesday next week and next Thursday, uh, and we'll be doing a, uh, a programming, or rather, a pre-recorded show here on Thursday. But uh, uh, addressing these issues, I've uh, been really honored tonight to have Antoine Day uh, and, and Raymond uh, Tyler on this show uh, of the Exonery Band, uh, gentlemen that uh, are out here trying to make a difference and doing some good things. Let me share this with you before we get back into discussion. Uh, I'm going to let these gentlemen give their closing remarks uh, of this segment as we will definitely have them back. But listen to this very carefully. The stories of exonerations are often told as fairy tales with the person who was wrongfully convicted for years. 
sometimes for decades, walking out of prison and, and into the sunset. Headed for an inevitability happy ending, media accounts of these exonerations often gloss over or ignore the long years of pain and trauma endured behind bars, and they almost never discuss what comes next. For starters, when you exit prison as, as an exoneree, you leave empty-handed. There's no immediate relief or compensation, so you don't see a dime, not even a bus pass. There are no social services, no medical help, no counseling. Your criminal record is not automatically expunged, so finding work is difficult. Like anyone else who has been incarcerated, your family's lives can be fractured. After a long incarceration, many of your family members may have died or moved on. Your spouse probably divorced you a long time ago, and your kids don't really know who you are anymore. These are some of the pieces, uh, I believe, uh, Antoine was talking earlier and, uh, about some of the, the, the challenges uh, the struggles that are out here, uh, and to live with all of this and to compile all that mentally uh, is nothing short of a miracle to get through that. Um, uh, that's a difficult thing to do. And Antoine, are you with us? Antoine and Raymond, are you back with us? I'm here. Okay. Antoine's here. Raymond? <laughs> yes, I'm here also. Okay. And uh, listen, guys, I-, I really appreciate you guys taking some time out your evening tonight. Uh, Antoine, I think what I just shared with our listeners is really a lot of what you were talking about earlier, uh, about, you know, you're out here, you're, you're able to, you know, thank God, to, to get a job and to kind of pursue and to fight injustice as a result of what you have lived. And your voice tonight is being heard as the voice of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, the 20,000 on the stats that we read earlier that are behind bars tonight, wrongfully, uh, we will become those voices for those folks. And, uh, uh, we continue to fight for justice as well. Antoine, what would you tell if you had to say to, to somebody out there that is behind that wall, uh, their family members may be listening tonight, what, what words of encouragement could you say to them to say, look, uh, this is going to get better, but it's going to take people coming together and fighting with one common goal? What would you say to them? Uh, the same thing I was told. Stay the course. Stay strong. Stay focused. Get into your case. Get rid of the TV, the radio, the follies, and get into your life because it's serious that you're sitting in prison for a crime you didn't commit. Reach out to everybody. Don't limit yourself. Talk about it. You know, uh, talk about it to everybody, and uh, you know, be strong. Don't 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 give in. Don't give in to the system by committing suicide or taking these drugs or just you know copping out. Don't do it. Stay the course, and it'll change. But it'll only change if you make it. It'll only change right. if you make it. Oh, absolutely. Antoine, thanks for that. Raymond, your thoughts to our listeners. What would you say uh, as well? Okay. Um, my, my thoughts is that after you get out, you know, and you kind of get your life back in order, you can choose something to do that you think would, would make it better than it was, you know, when you left there. Because it's so many different things, it's so many problems. You know, it's problems from people not being compensated, and then as as, as far as the, the the record being expunged, and you know, the laws are different in different states. You know, one one of one of my friends who who was paroled, he he had a phrase. He said, "I came out to a parade." Speaking of me, and he said he came out to a firing squad. You know, yeah. and that's kind of, that's kind of how it feels. Mm-hmm. Even for exonerees of different states, you know, because I, I was I was blessed to not 
become I wasn't uh uh just flower with riches or anything, but I was compensated so I can at least uh live with a home and a and, and a car and, and I could after working uh for a couple of years, you know, my life was kinda, you know, in a in a good way. A lot of guys don't have that. It's not balanced, you know, right. where everybody is is treated, you know, equally as as far as being exonerated. At least we should at least get that, you know, a equal fairness to our whole country, you know, federally. Should be sure. a federal law to take care of guys. So that's that's one thing that, you know, we can fight to you know, to be changed. You know, you gotta kinda go to your, your councilmen, to to your senators and who who Whoever's representing your your area, state, you know, and and kind of get in there and and let them know what the, what the issue is, and uh, and it's almost like you can't do it all, like I said before. So you got to kind of pick an issue, and then put all your effort into that. And, and because it's, it's hundreds of us that I know, because we've been going through the Innocent Project conferences for the, the you know for the national thing, and it's. So many exonerees that get on the stage, and it's not—it's not even half, but it's, it's hundreds of us, and, and you know, hundreds more that have issues, so they can't really kind of get back into the, you know, into the fight. They have to kind of pick out something that they can deal with, uh, you know, because it's emotional strain uh, coming out, and you know, you just got to pick your battle. You know, you got to pick what you can handle. And and that way you get that feeling of accomplishment, and and get your life better. You know you you got to we all we all got to get better. We got to kind of fight the uh, the the illness that's been put on us, you know, from our uh, incarceration, because sure. it's you know it's a nightmare. Then you come out to you know, daylight finally, you know. So what I what I tell people must you know what I would stress on. Get your life together best you can. Whatever you got to do, you know, just just get the help that you need and get that fight, you know, yeah. and, you know, pick your fight. And so, so you can win. He said closing words, Raymond. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, no, we're good. <laughs> hey, but listen. I, I, I can listen. go on, man, because there's so much that I want to say. Hey, I, I told him earlier, I said, the time we spend on this show cannot cover half the things that take place or what we can suggest that one do, you know. So, and, and, and your listeners, man, and, and again, I want to applaud your listeners. Your listeners has reached out to me numerous of times to to be a part of certain programs in different areas. So I appreciate it because I love talking about the changes in this injustice system. You know, I love talking about it. So if any out there, they can share my information, I'll be more than happy to come speak about it. Me and Raymond, all of us do the same thing because we're the fighters now. We're the mm-hmm. fighters for, for this, the people that we left behind. And one thing we always speak about is reaching back. We just had a brother in in, in a, a sense, um, in a, a, um just started his own uh, uh, um Innocent Network down in in uh, uh, Cincinnati. Um, I mean Kansas City. I'm sorry, yeah, in Kansas. Kansas yeah. Daryl Burton. Yeah, he started his own. He's an ex. He's he's a he's he's a brother that's been exonerated as well. Come home and don't forget the fight 
The same fight he had, he'd go back and fight for other people. That's who we need to support. Somebody who knows what's going on, knows how to get in there, knows how to make some changes. So oh, absolutely right. Absolutely this right. This show, man, is is really, really, really. It's 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 man, it's 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 the launching pad for people to really understand what what it takes to change your life. All people are not incarcerated physically. Some people get incarcerated mentally and never get a chance to to free themselves because they don't know how. That's why I suggest always ask the questions. Say what's on your mind. Talk to everybody you can talk to. You never know who can help you. But people have to understand when people come out of these walls, out of this other world, because it's a whole different world from this world, you're dealing with some issues that people may not understand. We all have to be patient. We all have to humble ourselves. We all have to be, you know, uh, uh, willing to share that the, the love that it takes to get one back on on track. That's sure. why we do the work we do because we have a passion for it. We love it. I love being able to go and talk to a class of people, which I just did at Loyola. I talked to a class of federal prosecutors who never had an idea. They never wow. talked to a wrongfully incarcerated person. They just well, thought we, it couldn't yeah. happen. Not in yeah, this they, system. No, no, no. Knowing that's half the battle. Just knowing about me, what's going on. Let me say this. Let me say this. Uh, Antoine, I'm going to be in touch with you offline. Uh, okay. And Raymond, if you can leave the I, – I believe we have your number as well. Uh, yeah. uh, leave the, uh, the, the young lady uh, before disconnecting. Uh, they're going to hopefully be able to get your information. We're going to talk – I'd like to bring you guys back next Tuesday – uh, if we can, Antoine, I'd like to hear some of those issues that, again, we need to hear. And y- you as well, Raymond, can give some insight to some of the raw stuff of the innocent, what they suffer behind the wall. And we're going to bring you back because there's a lot to discuss. So uh, next Tuesday, we'll be back here. If you guys are, are willing to come back, we'd, we'd love to have you because this is important information. Uh, until and then, see the rest of the band, we can get the rest of the band on also. Okay. Plenty, okay. plenty more stories to be told. Okay. Hey, listen, we'd love it. So let's talk about it. We'll definitely be in touch with you Tuesday. You guys have a good rest of your evening. Thanks for the work that you do and the lives that you're impacting across this nation fighting injustice. We appreciate it so much. You guys have a good we rest of your night. We appreciate you, brother, and thanks for your show. You're welcome. God bless you. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. Antoine Day, Raymond Tyler, uh, give us some information. Other side of the break, we're coming back with the injustice, the voice from behind the wall and from the grave. Remembering Joyce Ann Brown. We'll be right back. The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the U.S. began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders. 30% were property violators, such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. 
Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the nonviolent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely, there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So most people don't understand the importance of exercising and eating right. Most people think it's about getting super buff or eating grass to keep that perfect bod, but to those who believe that are wrong. Exercising regularly and getting the right balance of nutritious food leads to a common diagnosis known as healthy. Now healthy may sound mainstream and boring, but it's real. It improves your immune system to prevent sickness, boosts self-confidence and controls body weight, gives you energy and improves your overall happiness. So next time you think that's not bad, think again and be the best you you can be. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big Pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. 
Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically, it was 100 per 100,000. Now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African-American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling that's become a normal life event. That's really only happened in the last 10 years. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio Voices from Behind the Wall, the voices of the innocent. And we address these issues uh, that are troubling. We're so honored to have Antoine Day, Raymond Tyler uh, from the Exonery Band. Uh, I think Raymond said he did 30 years wrongfully convicted. Antoine, 14 years. And the entire band totaling 85 years of behind bars, innocent men behind bars. Uh, Unbelievable. They're going to be joining us on this series, Voices Behind the Wall, Voices of the Innocence, in the shows to come, and we'll keep you informed on that. But right now, we're going to talk about a young lady who touched our hearts in such a huge way, Joyce Ann Brown, wrongfully convicted uh, in Texas, I believe. Uh, a tragic story, wrong, for wrongfully convicted, where, check this out, her boss, where she worked. The employees where she worked confirmed that she was there at the time of this murder. There's no way she could have did it. They still locked her up, convicted her, and she spent a, a substantial amount of time in prison. Uh, shortly after that, it was less than a year of her appearance on that show that Joyce Ann Brown passed away. Uh, we're going to play uh, the interview for you now uh, and also the tribute we did for her. Uh, voices from behind the wall, not a greater voice than hers, uh, Joyce Ann Brown. Let's play the interview. At that time, you would do 20K 
calendar years before you were even able to talk for parole. And I had just simply made up my mind Mm -hmm. that I was, unless something happened, unless somebody came to my rescue, I was going to do a life sentence and come out in a pine box. I had already started to prepare my family for that because in Texas, you have to say I'm sorry, you have to show remorse, and you have to admit to the crime that they had charged you and convicted you of before you could even have an opportunity to talk for parole. Mm -hmm. I was never going to say I was sorry. I was never going to show remorse. I didn't have a reason. And I certainly was not going to admit to a crime that I didn't commit. So after maybe five years, I started preparing my family Mm -hmm. that I might just simply have to come out in a pine box. I didn't want them coming down telling, asking me, uh, talking about it, because there was no way that I was going to admit to a crime that I didn't commit. In 1980, in Dallas, Texas, two black females walked in to find furs by Reuben, robbed the store, shot and killed the owner. It happened May uh, 6, 1980. And the car was rented to a Joyce Ann Brown. And uh, I worked for a first store. I worked for Coslow first, one of the upscale uh, first stores uh, in Texas. May 9th, 1980, I was getting ready for work, getting ready to come to work. And one of my friends called me and said, Joyce, are you all right? I said, I'm fine. And so she said, oh, okay. And she hung up the telephone. And then a few minutes later, my mother called me. She said, Joyce Ann. And so I said, yeah, but why are you calling me so early? And so she said, are you all right? I said, yeah. She said, Miss Manny just called me and said that they're looking for you in connection with some kind of robbery. So I said, girl, get out of here. I said, somebody's playing a joke on you. And um, I hung up the telephone and I called Miss Manny. And she was an elder lady who would be well in her hundreds if she was still alive today, helped rear me as a child. When my mother said, Miss Nanny, I, I, it, it, something went through me. But I still thought that maybe, I don't remember her going to school. Can't she read? Could she write? Maybe she's now. But when I heard her voice and she said, baby girl, I'm reading in the paper that they're looking for Joyce Ann Brown of 3106, and I stopped her because she was too close to home. Mm-hmm. Said, Miss Nanny, let me go out and get a paper myself, and I'll call you right back. I went out and got a paper, came mm-hmm. back and called Miss Nanny, and we was reading in the paper that they were looking for Joyce Ann Brown of 3106 Burning Tree, and that I had fled to avoid prosecution. And I was saying, Miss Nanny, I'm right here. I'm at home. I'm getting ready to go to work. I haven't went anywhere. And so I said, let me call and find out what's happening. And I'll call you back. 
And what I did is I called a vice officer that I knew. And I said, well, I asked for one officer and he wasn't in. And the voice on the other line said, Joyce? I said, yes. I said, who is this? He said, this is Lieutenant Walt. I said, well, I'm reading in the papers that they're looking for me for some kind of a robbery or something. And, and so he said, yeah, he said, we've heard the same thing, but we told him it was not Joyce. And so I said, look, I don't know where I need to go, but I'm coming down. I'm coming to you, and I want to straighten it out. And by the time I hung up my telephone, it seems that everybody in Dallas, Texas was calling me. And I said, I'm getting ready to go straighten it out. And it was an attorney named Carl Gaines that I knew. He said, Joyce, no, you're not. He said, not without an attorney. Mm-hmm. He said, if you can't get in touch with your attorney, the heck with ethics, I will go down with you and I will represent you. He said, this is not, he said, this is serious. And then I said, well, why, what do you mean? He said, they're looking for you for capital murder. I said, what? He said, capital murder. And so I said, well, let me call Robert Rose. I called Robert Rose, which was my attorney. And he said, Come, go to my office. I'll meet you at my office. And I went to his office. When I got there, speakerphones had just gotten popular. And he picked up, he hit the speakerphone and threw up over his hands as if they could see him. And he said, we're coming in. I'm bringing her in. She don't have a knife. She don't have a gun. She don't even have a hairpin. And I'm thinking, has he went crazy? What is he talking about? And so when he got off, he said, Joyce, this is serious. I'm going to walk you through the first part of it. And then we're going to have to find somebody that counts capital murder cases. And he took me to, um, uh, he took me to the police department. And when he took me to the police department, uh, the the guy that I was talking about, the vice officer, Walt, uh, said, uh, I have to take your purse. And Walt knew me very well. What do you mean take my purse? And so he said, I've got to place you under arrest. They're not, I thought they were looking. They're not just looking for you. They have charged you uh, with capital murder. Hmm. Huh? Pardon me, Ms. Brown. I didn't mean to interrupt you. At this point, this is Lamont, by the way. Uh, Uh I had the the privilege of watching the documentary on BET on on last week, and I'm telling Uh you, I, I have such a great level of respect for you and what you have gone through. At this moment, share with the, our listeners, uh, what is going through your mind? How are you able at this point to keep it together? At this, I mean, this is a, a tsunami. This is a tornado that's coming through so fast. How are you able to maintain? What are you thinking at this time? What's on your mind at that moment? At the moment that they were arresting me? Yeah. 
at the moment that they were arresting me, uh, what was going through my mind was that I was an innocent person. I did not rob that store, so I didn't have anything to worry about. I see. Mm-hmm. Until, until I sit in that room for three hours. You know, when I call in, that's when they went to my house and round checked it, found nothing. There was nothing there for them to find, and then came back, and I had sit in the in the um, office for three hours waiting on them to come back to talk to me. And when this white male came in with cowboy boots and the coat with the big patch on the sleeve and the cowboy hat, mm. he wanted to know where was the furs. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I worked for Coslo Furs, and he called me a liar. At mm-hmm. that moment, the interview was over. Nobody was going to stand in my face and call me a lie when I knew mm-hmm. I wasn't lying. Absolutely. And that's when he said, Booker. Mm. and said, Booker for capital murder. They booked me for capital murder and put me under a million-dollar bond. The, the court appointed me Carrie P. Fitzgerald, one of us toughest and the baddest lawyers at that time in Dallas, Texas, and then he became, later in in years, he became a judge. But when Carrie Carrie came to see me and um, I said, I didn't commit the crime. I didn't do it. And he says, well, they're offering you a plea of 20 years if you plea bargain, if you go to court, you're looking at death, no less than life. And so I said, they appointed you as my attorney? And he said, yes. I said, okay, I don't want an attorney. They don't believe me. I didn't commit this crime, and I will never, ever admit to a crime that I didn't commit. So if you're not ready to work, then you need to walk away. And he accepted he accepted the case, and they began to work. And I went to trial eight days. Thirteen Anglos testified that I was at work. Time cards proved that I was at work. They, the district attorney said that I left work at lunch, during lunchtime, drove three and a half miles, in the process of changing clothes, drove three and a half miles, robbed the store, watched the man shot down like a dog, got back in my car, and drove three and a half miles back to my business where I worked at Coslo in seven and a half minutes without being missed. Uh, Lamont here again, uh, as I'm sitting here listening to this, okay, did the attorney object? There's certain areas in a, in a trial that you know, okay, that's mm-hmm. absolutely, as you say, impossible, exactly. can't happen. Mm-hmm. Did, was there an objection? Was there a, your honor? Uh, that was everything that you can imagine from wow. an attorney. And uh, even the 
Bayless had been a police officer for 27 years before he retired. He came over to Fitzgerald, the attorney, and said, if that young lady says she was at work, he said, it's totally impossible with the drive time. He said, I believe her. When the I went to court eight days, mm-hmm. Fitzgerald won his case. Nobody can tell me anything, but we're in Texas, and I was a black woman in Texas, and and and, and was charged with capital murder. When the jury came back and said we find the defendant guilty because they couldn't find me guilty of of capital murder, of aggravated robbery in which a murder occurred, I went into shock. I couldn't believe it. I had been there eight days. I know Kerry had won his case. There was no way. When I came out of this twilight zone or wherever it was, I was for a moment, Mm. he was shaking me. And he was telling me, I won that case. They took my case. I am going to fight until I see you free. Those mm-hmm. were his words to me when I came out of that twilight zone. Back mm-hmm. to reality. That these people had, had found me guilty of aggravated robbery. And they accessed punishment and life in prison. Mm-hmm. And I told my mama, I'm never going to admit because I didn't do it. Right. And I'm going to fight them for the rest of my life. If I leave prison in a pine box, all I wanted my family to do was to fight and clear my name. But Mm -hmm. see, God didn't see it that way. And Mm -hmm. I came home after spending nine years, five months, and 24 days in prison when Mm -hmm. Jim McCluskey from Centurion Ministries mm-hmm. uh, came to see about me. I had written everybody I could think of all over the state to come see about me because I didn't commit that crime. And I got a letter from Centurion Ministries. Now, Miss... Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. At this point, I presume your post-conviction uh, relief efforts had all kind of uh, ended at this point. We'd be in nine years yeah. in, right? It had, I had ended, and what they what happened was they arrested Renee Taylor, the actual gunman. And when she came to, to the unit, Mountain View unit, where I was, I had been there about a year and a half. Everybody was coming by the dorm that I was in, and they were saying, she's on this unit. What do you want us to do? She's on this unit. And I said, that young lady didn't send me to prison. Malicious prosecution sent me to prison. She didn't go out and Mm -hmm. rob a store with Frank Joyce Brown in mind. Y'all leave her alone until I can talk to her. And Mm -hmm. what happened was, it was so much tension on the Mountain View unit, they called me to what was called the count office, the administration building, and mm-hmm. they called her. And for the first time in my life, when I saw Renee Taylor, 
And she looked at me. She said, I told them that I didn't know you. I told them that you weren't with me. That's how she got a life sentence. She was in the process of going to trial. And when she told her attorney that she didn't know me, had never seen me before in my life, he told her if they gave that young lady a life sentence, they're going to fry you. And there's nothing that I can do. And so she plea bargained for a life sentence. And they sent her to the unit where I was. And she said, I'll talk to your attorney. And that's how the ball got rolling. Mm-hmm. And with her, him coming down, talking to Renee, and uh, sending out appeals only for Texas to deny them. Mm-hmm. And then Centurion Ministries came. And nobody can tell me it's not a God in heaven. That's the, right. The investigator yeah. was walking through the door mm-hmm. at the at the at the courthouse, and there was a lady that dropped some files, and he, being a gentleman, reached down, picked them up for her, and was passed. She said, "No, those are concerning that young lady that you all are working, whose case y'all are working on, that's sitting in prison for nothing." And she went on about her business. And true enough, Jim McCluskey found a document that showed that the district attorney knew before I went to court Mm. that I possibly was not that person. And Mm. they locked it up for almost a decade before before they were able uh, to get to it. And that document is what... uh, made the Court of Appeal uh, reverse uh, reverse my case. Well, there you have it. Joyce Ann Brown. What a tragic, tragic um, turn of events there. Uh, you know when you hear her talk she didn't do anything the voices of the innocent voices from behind the wall nine and a, almost nine and a half years um, tragic. we're going to play part two the conclusion of that interview as we have much more to discuss but tonight we will hear her voice and be the voice for her as well as she speaks for herself and following that conclusion you'll hear the, uh, the brief tribute we gave to Joyce Ann Brown here we go. That time I had an all white beard. But being brought up by my mom mm-hmm. and making sure that she had 10 kids, and you weren't going to leave her house until you got an education. Mm-hmm. I simply thought that it was just going to be some time out of my life. I was going to go to court and these people were going to see with all the evidence that I had that I didn't commit that crime. The prosecutor, prosecution had an eyewitness, which was Miss Dandron, the, the, the wife of the husband that was shot and killed, that said mm-hmm. I looked like the person that was with the person that shot and killed her husband. And they had a jailhouse informant. 
that said, I came in and confessed to her that I commit that crime. And I don't mean to be rude or ugly or anything, mm. but here's an illiterate person that couldn't read or write. When I went into jail, I went into jail trying to help people. And she said I came in and just picked her out and confessed to her that I committed that crime. How stupid do they think I am? Mm. And that was their that, that was their uh case. Somebody that said I looked like the person that was with the person and a jailhouse informant that said I um, came in and testified testified to her that I committed that crime. I went to prison with a life sentence and the district attorney that prosecuted the case sent a letter to the uh, board of pardons and parole and they released her said that they gave her too much time, released her, and sent her home. And I went to prison uh, with a life sentence. But let me tell you, you have to know my upbringing. They chose the wrong black woman. Because I was not going to go down there and get complacent. I wasn't going to go to prison and talk about what I had when I was out in the world. I went to prison, determined that I was going to fight this system for the rest of my life. Not just to get free, mm-hmm. but to prove to the world that I wasn't that good. To prove yeah. to the world that I would have never committed a crime like that. Okay. And yes. that's what happened. I continued to fight others in prison, was fighting with me, uh, helping me in the writ room uh, to find ways of, of, of getting my case back and forth to the court. And it paid off. After nine years, five months, and 24 days of hell, I walked free. Uh, I had the family support. Uh, that Because my family knew that that wasn't me. They yeah. knew that there was no way uh, I would do that. You know, I had been the supporter. Those in college. Whatever you need, you're going to get it, as long as you get an education. Mm-hmm. My sisters and brothers that was at home with me, as long as you get an education, because we had integrated, and mm-hmm. they needed more than my mother and them could afford. So I went out and started a new life in order to make sure that those kids got what they needed mm-hmm. to do what they had to do and get that education. Mm-hmm. And one of them, when all of this happened, she came up to visit me in jail, and she says, Big Sis, she says, we all enjoyed. Never asked you where the money was coming from. Never did anything but enjoyed life. Had everything we needed, could get in any sport or whatever it was at school. We knew we were going to be taken care of. We know we were going to be dressing we didn't ask you then, and we're not going to ask you now or question you about that second life. Only thing we're going to do is stand behind you 100%. And that's what um, what they did. Until yeah. this day, November will be 25 years that I've been free. Not wow. one of them have 
Sarah sit down and talk to me about that other life. Yeah. And that's what I mean. You gotta have. And this is uh, this is Cliff Stewart. Thank you so much, Miss Brown, for uh, for coming on. Your story is uh, heart wrenching at the same time, encouraging. Yeah. And um, you know that's what you gotta have. You gotta have the uh, the family that's standing behind you, people who know who you are, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and just there for you. You know, I, when I came home, I went to work for one of the most powerful politicians in Dallas, Texas, which was Commissioner John Wiley Price. And, of course, he had connections and doors could be open, and I probably could have got a pardon two months after I got out. But when they, when he asked me about working on I said, a pardon? I said, wait a minute. What did you say? He said, we're going to work on getting your case, get, getting your case pardon. I said, no, you're not. And so he said, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to work on getting it expunged. He said, Josh, they don't expunge cases like that uh, in Texas. I said, Commissioner, I would never take a pardon. That's an admission of guilt. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. I said, "That's a, what are they going to pardon me from? If somebody could tell me what they pardoned me from, then maybe I will do it. I said, but that's an omission of guilt. And if it has to stay on my record for the rest of my life, I would never admit to, uh, I would never admit to an, to a pardon because that's an omission of guilt. And I don't have anything to be guilty for. 1990 and 1989, I walked free. 1990 uh, is when uh, 1994 is when 1990 is when they dropped the charges and didn't just drop the charges in 1990. February the 14th, 1990. February the 14th, 1994. Mm -hmm. I walked out of the courthouse with an expunction of my record. I wasn't going to stop. There is a bailiff. It wasn't, it, this was a court coordinator this time. The district attorney was over trying to get the judge to sign off and saying I had missed the court date that I was supposed to have been in court for the, um, for the expunction and I never came to court. And the woman that actually sets everything, the court coordinator, she said, Judge, stay in line. I have never set a, a court date for George Brown to come over here for an expunction. And the judge called Carrie Fisher and said, you need to get down to the courthouse and you need to get down here now. He has yet retired, but I respect Judge Toll to this day because before he left that bench, he gave me my, ex- and that's what I wanted was an expunction because I hadn't committed a crime. And what's true, Ms. Brown, as I'm listening to you talk, this is Lamont again. Uh, you know, I don't think people understand the horrors behind the wall. Uh, hmm. You know, I, when I hear you talk, I was, uh, I was wrongfully convicted in Colorado for seven years. I did for a crime I did not commit. Uh, mm-hmm. When I hear you talk, I relate so much to you, but nobody understands the trauma and the horror behind that wall, especially 
when you know you weren't guilty of what you are there for. And I think people, again, your plea to reach for telling people, hey, we need to stand up. This is this that not only happened to Miss Brown, it happened to Lamont Banks. Your passion, your heartfelt emotion, uh, the tears that I hear in your in your well, I can't hear your tears, but the emotion I see and feel from mm-hmm. you when you talk twenty five years later. That's why somebody has to be held accountable for that type of pain put in a person's life. And not only, like you said, not only you, but your 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 children and your your siblings. Somebody must answer for that. That's that's why it just causes here. That's why organizations are here. That's why Joyce, uh, your your voice being heard on this broadcast tonight is so huge, because somebody has to stand up and speak. And I salute you a million times over. Well, I appreciate that, but I've made a promise in 1986 to somebody higher than all of us, that not yes. if, but when he released bondage, that I would spend the rest of my days fighting for those that was less fortunate. And that's the, in, in my eyesight right now, is the, those that, not, not just those that are innocent in prison, but sure. those that go and pay their time and come home and we don't want them living next door to us. We don't yes. want to give them a job so that they yeah. won't have to go out and rob somebody or steal in order to survive. We don't want them to have any right. That's right. Is, but I paid my time. I paid right. my, you know, I paid, if I couldn't the class, I paid my time. I spent my 10 years. I spent my five years. Whatever. Let me start all over again. So that's what Mass does. Find jobs, housing, get your counseling, whatever it is, whatever your needs are. And don't come out thinking you can, you can play. Because right. I've been on both sides of the, field, of the field. And so if you want help, you're going to get it. But if you come in just thinking you're going to get a cushion, you got another thing coming. Because you will help me help you. Yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> we uh we need we need more people uh like you, Ms. Brown, that, that says I'm not afraid to fight. I'm not afraid to get out there and uh whatever comes, whatever goes. Hey, you got to put in the work. Just like you say with the people that come out, they you know, no, no matter what they looking at, it's like it's not time for no pity parties. Whether you whether you really not. Yeah, whether you did it or not. Hey, it's time as as I used to say, you know, back on the block, it's time to knuckle up and let's go let's go at it. You know what I'm saying? You got to you got to do it. There's there's nothing else you can do but fight. If you stop fighting, you're dead. You you are and, and, and you are done and, with fighting. There's so many avenues. You know, if you're scared to get out on the line, financially help us. Let those of us that don't mind getting on that line. Get on that line. But we need your help, financial help. We need your educational help. Some people might not know how to write a letter to their congressperson. Draw up some samples that we can use in order to get us some help or get the others that we're working for some help so that we can do something to corral this innocent going into Mass stands for mothers, 
fathers in parentheses for the advancement of social systems Inc. What I do is I don't only just work for innocent people in prison, referring them to different uh, projects, uh, innocence projects, and walking along with them to try to see if they're going to do the right thing by these people. What we do is we find housing, jobs, um, we deal with your family, we deal with your children, we get educators. If your children is having a problem in school and need to be, uh, need people to assist and help them, we, we bring them in to mass. We have a youth program. We bring them in to mass and challenge them towards positive things. And, and, and you know, we got some kids that can bear, still can barely read or write. Uh-uh. We, got, we bring them in. We educate them. We do all of that. Counseling, a lot of our people need counseling. And some of them might be like me. I don't think anybody that don't look like me can understand and tell me what it is I need to do. I was never going to say I was sorry. I was never going to show remorse. I didn't have a reason. And I certainly was not going to admit to a crime that I didn't commit. So after maybe five years, I started preparing my family Mm -hmm. that I might just simply have to come out in a pine box. I didn't want them coming down telling, asking me, uh, talking about it because there was no way that I was going to admit to a crime that I didn't commit. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. As you hear the last words on this program of Joyce Ann Brown, we come to you tonight very saddened that Miss Brown has passed away at the tender age of 68. Joyce actually appeared on this program and told us her story and the remarkable battle of courage that it took for her to come back from a wrongful conviction. Joyce Ann Brown, a longtime advocate for people who were wrongfully in prison, she died early Saturday morning. Her daughter, Coquise Spencer, said her mother had suffered a massive heart attack and stroke on Tuesday. Brown was being treated at Methodist Charlton Medical Center in Dallas. Again, she was 68 years old. Brown spent more than nine years in prison on an aggravated robbery conviction that was later overturned and eventually erased from her record. She founded the prisoner advocacy group MASS, Mothers, Fathers for the Advancement of Social Systems. She was an assistant for a friend of Dallas County Commissioner John Wiley Price. She also wrote a book called Justice Denied and was profiled by the television show 60 Minutes. To our friend, Joyce Ann Brown, we bid you farewell. And I can assure you, the legacy of Joyce Brown will continue. Goodbye, our dear friend, from all the staff and the AJC radio team, we sadly say goodbye. Rest in peace, Joyce Ann Brown.
Oh, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Joyce Ann Brown, a pioneer of advocacy work, um, moved me to tears tonight, uh, Samson, as we, the passion of this woman, uh, after going through what she went through, she was determined to make a difference and did make a difference as we deal with voices from behind the wall, voices of the innocent. Tonight, highlighting her tonight as a prime example of what it means uh, to be wrongfully convicted and suffer uh, some of the things that she had to endure. Your thoughts? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, she took her situation and completely, you know, turned it around. She took uh, her her time of incarceration and used it to become a champion of the cause to get out there and to make sure that, you know, no one had to, you know, had to endure the uh, the injustice that she did. But if they did, that there would be a means for them, you know, whenever they were released or exonerated or whatever, that there was a program in place. And there are still people out there, you know, like the exonerees band that are that are out there still championing that cause today. And I just think it's absolutely commendable that, I mean, even to, you know, her, her sad passing back in uh, 2015, um, that she was still uh, fighting the good fight, championing that cause and, and pushing for people that are unfortunately going through the same situation that she had. Absolutely. Dennis, your thoughts quickly. Yes. Uh, again, it was awesome. I mean, she, she really stood for what was right and she fought to get out. And then once she got out, she uh, uh, fought for others. And I tell you, that's very commendable. Cliff, your closing thoughts on Joyce Ann Brown. That, is that interview, again, uh, the passion just speaks volumes. Yeah, she uh, just really shows that, you know, you never stop fighting. Uh, when you get out, you fight for others, uh, no matter uh, what it was. Again, whether you did it or not, life goes on. Everybody has to learn from their mistakes and say, you know, I'm going to do what I need to do, put in the work that I need to put in, um, you know, after I'm out to ensure that others, uh, you know, have somebody on the outside for them. Oh, absolutely right. Uh, and uh, Joyce, um Magnificent woman um, and uh, had planned, I believe, to come to Colorado, a voice uh, that many would think uh, gone too soon. Um, and uh, it's 2015. We lost her June 13th, to be exact, uh, 2015. But uh, her passion, and, and this is why it's important to be the voice for those behind the wall in this series for the next uh, a few shows, Voices of the Innocent. Uh, and I'm, I'm confident that uh, Joyce Brown would have appeared on this show tonight uh, to contribute uh, and to have her voice heard. And, and uh, we're, we're still, uh, that pain, as you alluded to, uh, Samson, 25 years later, the pain is just as real as it happened the day before. Our thoughts, uh, again, still out to her family that is still in my opinion a new wound a fresh wound but this continues ladies and gentlemen voices from behind the wall voices of the innocent continues on shows to come we'll see you next time this is AJC Radio good night <laughs>